Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to today's episode of DNVGL Talks Energy. My guest today is Danny Vinables, Chief Digital Advisor from Microsoft Asia Pacific. Good morning, Danny. Good morning, Matthias. How are you? <laughs> Thanks. Fine. How about yourself? Um, Danny, today uh, we want to speak about the impact of digitalization on energy ecosystems. But before we start with this, um, could you please briefly introduce yourself and your current role at Microsoft? Sure. Great. Uh, well, I'm uh, from South Africa originally. I've been in um, the IT industry and particularly in consulting around strategy, IT strategy type consulting for uh, more years than I care to remember. Um, and in my role in, in Microsoft right at the moment, I'm the chief digital advisor for uh, Asia Pacific, based in Asia Pacific HQ in Singapore. And what we really focus on as a digital advisory team is helping our big uh, enterprise customers uh, comprehend, understand, and take advantage of the uh, digital transformation wave that's uh, kind of affecting us all at the moment. Okay, right. That brings us uh, also right into our topic. Um, we want to talk about the Internet of Energy. And in, in DNVGL, we believe that a smart city, smart country, maybe continent or even a smart world certainly needs smart assets. But to make these interact, apart from the smart grid, we need another layer, which we sometimes call the soft grid, and basically is the platform enabling the interaction of the assets. Which role do you see Microsoft play in this, Danny? Uh, well, this kind of uh, soft grid, as you as you mentioned, is very much driven by cloud technology. So, as as one of the largest cloud providers, I think um, where that makes sense for Microsoft to to uh, add value, and where we're already adding value with with some of our energy customers, is providing those cloud-based services. Uh, and then on top of that, obviously the analytics that goes behind that. That's going to be uh, a very smart grid at the same time as being a soft grid. So uh, there's a lot of automation, AI, machine learning, uh, and analytics that will, will drive a lot of that, uh, that layer. So um, all of those are areas where I think Microsoft is very strong and will continue to grow as well. Yeah, so maybe on that, uh, that the cloud service enable this, one thing um, we are sometimes hearing is that there is concern about how these assets uh, can communicate with each other because there are so many different protocols around. Um, is this something which could also be solved through the cloud? Uh, yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, certainly one of uh, our strategies in Microsoft is to enable uh, communication between differing protocols. Um, if you take blockchain as an example, our strategy there is is not to necessarily provide a new blockchain protocol, but to provide a platform where the various protocols can communicate with one another. So, um, you know, I think Microsoft and, and others, no doubt, uh, see that this kind of um, 
communication between differing approaches and protocols is going to be essential to achieving that uh, interconnected world of the future. So there is quite a lot of work going into trying to build the, 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 the integration layers in the cloud that can allow that, that easy uh, communication between different protocols. I see. And I want to pick on one thing you mentioned uh, a little earlier during our discussion. So you mentioned machine learning and artificial intelligence. We hear quite a lot about this in the recent years. And basically, machine learning is kind of around since the 1960s, but only the computational power we have available today uh, makes this uh, a very interesting option now to really use it. And um, so I have an article out there on LinkedIn where I have a quite optimistic vision that machine learning will allow us to kind of optimize ecosystems, if you wish, the energy ecosystem without human intervention by kind of managing uh, all these assets through the cloud. We talked earlier about this uh, by balancing, distributing or distribution uh, generation and and uh, the loads. So uh, what would you think? Is Are you agreeing with that vision? Is that something which will happen, that machines can control kind of our infrastructure in future? Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, without that kind of capability, the, the future you're talking about just wouldn't happen. Um, you know, you, you're talking about uh, something that has exponential level of complexity when you, you've got a, a soft grid connecting literally hundreds of thousands or even millions of different devices. Um, human beings are completely unable to handle that kind of complexity manually. So it's, it's, a, it's an absolute necessity that machine learning and artificial intelligence type technologies will be the, one of the foundation requirements for that kind of future. Yes. So, uh, I mean, the issue that implies, of course, to make that all work is that we have to kind of substantially disrupt the current energy ecosystem to break through all the current silos uh, we do have and, and we have to do that um, or prepare that in an environment where we do not 100% know how the final solution will really look like. Now, um, DNVGL uh, is in that position but also you in your role in advising uh, companies in digital transformation. What, what, like on a high level basis, what, what would be your uh, recommendations to um, companies who try to go through a digital transformation to get prepared for such a scenario which is not 100% defined. Sure, uh, and that uh, of course does make it difficult. I think that's kind of the root of, of a lot of digital transformation is it's somewhat experimental and, and you never know exactly what the final solution is going to look like, as you say. Um, I think the advice that, that we give is from a technology point of view, not to paint yourself into a corner, um, you know, start seriously looking at moving to the cloud. Once you move to the cloud, things generally become, uh, you know, on average, I'd say, become a, a little more easy in terms of integration between different, uh, you know, pieces of software and different uh, different nodes and, and what have you. Um, so making sure that, that you have that capability that you're moving towards a kind of modern type of infrastructure, cloud-based, modern application-based, um, is from a technology point of view what, what we recommend. And that's not a, a rip and replace, it's a you know, planned migration um, for, for organizations, particularly we've got quite a lot of investment in, in existing infrastructure and, and software. Um, and then 
just as important when you talk about silos um, is not just the technology silos, but I think the the kind of cultural uh, and organizational silos that exist. Uh, one of the almost the biggest challenges in digital transformation that we see with our large customers is actually getting them to a, a digital mindset to some degree. So that means changing uh, to, to more of a digital culture, getting their digital skills plan in place, um, you know, recruiting the right new types of skills, upskilling the existing people, uh, working internally to break down those, those organizational and inter-organizational silos, uh, because those are, are kind of uh, baked into many companies, and until they can break those down, having technology integration is not going to really achieve the full solution. Right. It's interesting you mentioned that because I remember we had a client who told us that while they went through the digital transformation, that was a client from the maritime space, they, uh, in a time of nine years it took them, they had a turnover of 70% of their staff because 40% didn't want to get involved and 30% were not capable. So it can yeah. have uh, extreme impact on, on companies. Well, another area actually which comes with this digitalization and which uh, people are worried about is um, that cybersecurity becomes more and more important. Um, Humans create this problem themselves and are not very successful to counteract. So if we now look into this totally connected world, um, that could be very dangerous to society uh, by some bad guys uh, doing bad things uh, to our infrastructure. What, what would you see where that is going? Is that a real danger or are there things happening which will make this less severe? Well, it, it's certainly at this point in time, it, it absolutely is a real danger. Um, I think for the, the, the short to medium term, um, you know, what I sometimes say is, is to to people is that, uh, you know, think of banking uh, a number of years ago, probably many years ago, but uh, people were reluctant to take their hard-earned coins and put it in a bank uh, because they didn't trust the banks. Um, we're in a similar situation right at the moment, I think, with people with data. People are still a little bit unsure that they should put their data into the cloud. But to be honest, it's it's only companies like Microsoft, Amazon, IBM, etc., who are starting to have the, the resources or have the resources to build this tremendous amount of security around their, their cloud offerings. Um, you know, the kind of investment that Microsoft makes in security is not something that most even large enterprises can afford to do uh, off their own bat. It just wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be cost effective. So um, to some extent in the shorter term, putting your data into the cloud, making sure, of course, that you, you, you know, you're following all the necessary internal securities and protocols um, is, is probably one good step. You know, added to the fact that uh, if you look at, at our cloud, Azure again as well, we run tremendous amounts of machine learning and artificial intelligence across all transactions that are happening in our cloud. Um, by doing that, we're able to very quickly start picking up problems that, that say, a customer wouldn't even realize. So, you know, we can, we can spot 
suspicious activities uh, by using these machine learning algorithms that, uh, you know, as an internal enterprise, you would have no ability to, to pick that up generally unless you had a tremendously sophisticated and expensive architecture for, for doing exactly the same thing. So that's in the short term and medium term is, is actually, um, I would say, you know, considering moving more of your, your data to the cloud. I know that's a bit of a contentious statement, but um, you know, I certainly believe that that, that security investment that uh, cloud providers make is, is you know, more significant and will pay off in terms of security. Then um, in the longer run, I think there are new technologies coming down the line, like quantum uh, computing, for example, the uh, opportunities that, that quantum key distribution provide uh, makes use of the you know, rather weird uh, uh, you know, principle of, of quantum superposition. Uh, it, that enables or promises, at least, it's still early days, but promises an almost 100% secure uh, cloud or internet uh, where basically no one would ever be able to break into anyone else's communications. Uh, if if we get to that stage, and I believe we will fairly soon, uh, you know, we're going to break into a whole new world of, of uh, an internet where everything is 100% secure. I mean, that would be a tremendous future for everyone. I think we could all breathe a lot more easily. <laughs> yes, actually, you uh, mentioned this nice analogy with the people uh, putting coins in a bank. So now I can't help myself. Um, there is a lot. Uh, we talk about blockchain, and there is this blockchain-enabled uh, cryptocurrencies, like for example, Bitcoin. And uh, it's interesting, actually. But, uh, so today, we trust a bank uh, to handle our money, and we trust a utility to uh, meter how many kilowatt hours I have used and what I pay for this. Uh, but the idea of, of blockchain in some parts you have just described is that we take intermediaries out uh, yes. because we kind of yes. enable uh, or we, we create an environment in which trust is enabled by technology rather than by intermediaries. So yeah. if you look into the future of, uh, for example, cryptocurrencies, uh, which, for example, Bitcoin is now accepted in Japan, I think, even to go shopping in some um, uh, retail uh, shops online. Um, what would you think? I mean, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of these currencies out there. Is that the future of our money? And will they, like, I mean, the value of these currencies, uh, which is already uh, increasing overall quite a lot these days, uh, is, is that kind of uh, going ahead? Do you think that this is something we will use in future to pay for transactions? Uh, absolutely. I think... Um you know, blockchain and, and maybe, you know, the future of whatever blockchain evolves into as well, um, is going to be the basis of our, our monetary system. Um, not necessarily Bitcoin, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll still keep our own currencies, but, um, you know, making use of that infrastructure for, for everything from major, uh, you know, payments from, from uh, one country to another, uh, you know, cross-border payments, right down to micropayments from our mobile phone. Um, I, I think the, the speed, the agility, uh, you know, the cutting out the middleman, as you say, um, you know, the cost, uh, the low, low cost of that, I, I think it's really driving a tremendous change, uh, particularly in the banking industry. And I mean, that's maybe another topic, but, you know, banks are seriously looking at, you know, what 
what is their role in the future? Um, you know, maybe they, they will be more of platform providers and, um, you know, uh, being able to enable this kind of, of uh, you know, new digital monetary, monetary world uh, rather than doing the, the standard transactions, which they do so uh, slowly and uh, rather poorly to some degree today. <laughs> okay, uh, Danny, thank you very much. Highly interesting insights you have given us. I want to close with uh, not so much related, very open question. Um, if, if, let's say, we look two decades from now into the future, how much will digitalization have changed our life? Like, will you and me still sit in front of a computer uh, in an office, or how would that look like? I, I don't think so. I think things are exponential at the moment. Um, you know, I, I think that world is going to be completely different. The, the world of work is going to be completely different. Um, neither you nor I may actually work for a large corporation anymore. We may be uh, all kind of uh, in, a, in a jobbing economy working on a project-by-project project or pursuit-by-pursuit basis. Um, and I think, you know, in, in that future world with mixed reality and, and augmented reality, uh, I, I think, you know, we're going to be probably, we could be sitting and talking to one another, uh, seeing each other, even perhaps shaking hands, but uh, being across the world from one another at the same time. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a, a, a world as well, which is so different. I mean, again, quantum computing offers, uh, you know, almost the ability, if you tie that with, you know, personal digital assistance, um, you know, to just, to your mobile phone or whatever that looks like in the future, it may be, you know, smaller and perhaps it's embedded in, uh, you know, in, in uh, the back of your hand or something. I don't want to go too far, but, um, you know, you can literally ask that, that uh, personal assistant and say, you know, I've got this long schedule of, of, uh, you know, trips coming up over the next, uh, you know, 20 days. I'm going to 10 different countries. You know, within the next 10, three minutes, let's say, please optimize my route, find the lowest cost options. Uh, you know, tell me which flights I should go to when you've got access to my calendar. Um, you know, I want the lowest cost, highest quality. I want, uh, you know, these kind of hotels and, uh, you know, this, this, Cloud uh, computation will go off and, and calculate this incredibly complex problem. It's it's actually called the traveling salesman problem. In fact, in in uh, you know, sort of content computing, uh, we'll be able to come back within you know 30 seconds and give you an answer of what the best possible option is. Okay, uh, right. <laughs> that looks good. I or think, maybe we all end up uh, sitting in our five-star bedroom, not going anywhere anymore, and just meeting digitally. <laughs> we, 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 we could be. I, I, I somehow think human-to-human, -human, uh, you know, face-to-face -face, uh, is still going to be important, at least for initial meetings. I, I, I think we'll do a lot of it virtually, but I still think to some degree that human uh, touch is, is never going to completely go away. I think that's a, a really good statement and I, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to accept the human touch in future. That's a, that's a good news. <laughs> Danny, uh, we are running a little bit out of time now. That was highly okay. interesting. Thank you very much uh, for your insights. Sure. And uh, here, um, people listening, thank you very much for uh, listening in. That was Danny Venables, Chief Digital Advisor, Microsoft 
Asia Pacific. Thank you very much and bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.